0: I have a killer immune support tip because, let's be honest, cold and flu season can be an absolute doozy. We've already been hit multiple times and had to do multiple rounds of antibiotics. And I have been researching the heck out of exactly what nutrients and herbs are evidence-based and actually make a difference. The really cool news is I just found out that MD Logic has a comprehensive immune support supplement known as Immunologic that literally has everything you'd want. I just started taking it this week since we've had a new round of colds. It has a natural form of vitamin C from organic acerola extract, zinc, echinacea, oregano, garlic, quercetin, one of my favorites, and even B propolis. All of these nutrients have immune-supporting effects and can help reduce the frequency of colds and flus and may help regulate the inflammatory response and shorten your sicknesses if you do get sick. I recommend ordering a few bottles and having them on hand. That is what I have done. Anytime anyone gets sick in your house, start supplementing with it daily. And, of course, you can use this as a first defense at the first sign of sickness since it has both immune-supportive herbs and antimicrobial extracts like olive leaf and garlic. I'm going to be honest with you, I will never now be without this. I treat it as a first offense. So when I start noticing I've got a little bit of a tickle in my throat, I immediately start taking it. If I need to add in a probiotic and a prebiotic, I do. I usually take that in every day anyway. But in general, this literally has all of the evidence-based nutrients I've previously been taking individually. It also only uses monolorin as the flow agent and is always tested for contaminants like heavy metals and mold. To grab yours, go to slash immuno. That's I M M U N O. Use the code WELLFED for 10% off. Again, that's M D Logic Health L O. G-I-C-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash immuno. That's I M M U N O. Use code WellFed for 10% off and you always get free shipping on orders of $50 or more. You are now listening to Well Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome. I am so happy that you are here. This is episode number 459, and it is the holidays, which means I'm going to be renewing some of our most popular episodes, ones you have likely, you know, forgotten about, and it's going to be like you're listening to it for the first time. I do these episodes and sometimes I'm going back and I'm like, wow, I did an episode on that. That's really good. So I'm going to choose the good ones. This one today is awesome. And I have to say, Steph and I, over the last nine years, almost nine years of doing this podcast, we have been flooded with questions about irregular periods, specifically Losing your period, which can happen for a number of reasons. One of the more popular reasons is a condition known as hypothalamic amenorrhea, where the brain, your hypothalamus, shuts down, stops communication, and you can lose your period four weeks at a time. And it's usually because your brain is perceiving stress. It's perceiving an energy imbalance. And so today we're going to really dive into eating for fertility and hypothalamic amenorrhea and what that looks like and how you can uh, move through that if that's something you're struggling with, what to do if you've had that previously, but now you just want to live your life. How do you go back living your life and what to do in general with period irregularities? This episode is with registered dietitian, Lindsay Lusson. She's a powerhouse when it comes to eating for fertility, getting your period back and all the reasons why our period disappears. So I'm excited to share this with you again. Let's jump into the interview. Lindsay is a registered dietitian, wife and mom of two. She studied nutrition at Texas A&M University and has a master's degree in exercise and sports nutrition. In her practice, she specializes in hormones, fertility period problems, and hypothalamic amenorrhea. She currently resides in Waco, Texas. Welcome, Lindsay.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Noel. I have listened to the podcast for a while. In fact, this is something that was really helpful for me in recovery from HA, And so it's so cool to like be on the podcast now and get to share a little bit of my story about what I do.
0: That's awesome. I love that. I did not know that. And I, I think it's cool. Well, it speaks to how long this podcast has been around because you've been practicing for quite a few years. But I think that's really cool. It's so I've seen a lot of women come full circle, including myself. You know, when I started this podcast, like I have just grown with it along with all of the people, everybody listening. But um, I love those full circle moments where you can you can see and realize something and maybe the podcast was an influence in that. And then it changes the direction or the course of of a woman's life, which is the goal here. So I actually found you because of your. Incredible content and your reels that you put on Instagram. You in particular have been educating about period loss and eating for fertility for quite some time now. And that's the main focus of your practice as a registered dietitian. And as part of your story, you share openly that you didn't have a period for 13 years. So tell me everything about that, because I know there are so many women in this community who have inconsistent periods or are struggling with hypothalamic amenorrhea, or maybe are just struggling to get their period back after nursing, and they just don't know how to get to the other side of it. And you have.
1: Yeah. So I think that when I initially lost my period, like the experience I'm sure a lot of people have is you were just put on the pill. And as we know, that's not necessarily the solution. It's kind of more of a Band-Aid for the problem. But it wasn't really until I started um, wanting to try for a baby that it became a really big issue. You know, over the course of those 13 years, I was kind of back and forth with a lot of different OBGYNs, you know, general practitioners, reproductive endocrinologists, and Nobody really had an answer for me. So it was really frustrating and kind of something that I kind of shut a door on for a while. I felt like when I, you know, 10, 5, 10 years ago, like the word hypothalamic amenorrhea wasn't like out there. And so I kept like, I knew I had this problem, but I didn't know what to call it. And I definitely didn't know the solution. And so it wasn't until, you know, I decided it was time to try for a baby that I really kind of started getting into the research and found the book, no period now what, and was able to finally put a name to it and finally understand, you know, what was going on. My, my personal history is really just kind of like, Went on a diet in high school, was stupid, but all the girls that I was hanging out with were kind of dieting and doing things, and you know I lost a significant amount of weight over a short amount of time, and kind of there went my period, and that was kind of the next you know decade or so of my life. It did spiral into a place where it was very unhealthy for a while. In fact, I did seek treatment for outpatient treatment for an eating disorder for a while, Recovered from that, you know, got my period back like one or two times and then it went missing again. And so it wasn't until, you know, much, much later that I really kind of figured out the repercussions of all of the under eating and over exercising and the impact it was having on on my body.
0: Hmm. When you would go to
1: doctors,
0: would they they didn't give the word they didn't say this is hypothalamic amenorrhea. They just said, okay, we'll just put you on the pill and that will fix it.
1: Yeah, basically. I mean, I don't even think that HA is in my medical chart. Like I'll even talk to my doctor who delivered <laughs> my babies and um, I'll be like, yeah, you know, when I had HA and she'd be like, oh, you know, sure. So hmm. it, it was, like, it's funny too, because nobody ever said anything about PCOS, which I know that, that I know a lot of people get misdiagnosed hmm. with PCOS, but it was kind of like, you know, you just don't get a period like that it was just like this something that was kind of like brushed under the rug, like, oh, yeah, you don't get your period. So we'll just put you on birth control. And you'll probably need fertility treatment when you're ready to have babies.
0: Wow. What a diagnosis to get when you're that young, like already to hear, oh, you're going to need fertility treatments. Yeah. And did was that an option for you? Did you seek that out before you found the book? Or how did how was that? What was that timeline?
1: It's kind of funny because I feel like it was just by the grace of God that I came across that book. I was I had been married for maybe 6 months or a year and we weren't ready to start trying kids but we were trying to have kids and we were definitely thinking about, you know, the next steps and so I luckily got the information before I saw my doctor about, you know, what are the next steps for fertility treatment. And at the time, I wasn't getting a period at all. So, like, I had learned about HA. I knew what the recovery process was going to look like, but I was terrified. And so I was like, okay, let's just, you know, let's just fill out the options. So I go to my doctor, and I'm assuming that I can take Clomid or Fremara or some sort of um, oral ovulation med. And she was kind of like, yeah, no, you know, with no period, we're, we're probably going to send you straight to a fertility clinic. And I think that that was kind of like the last straw mm-hmm. that was like made me realize, all right, I need mean, to take this seriously. I need to see what I can do on my own to get my period back to avoid having to do fertility treatment.
0: Yeah. So, what did you? Because I think for a lot of women, it, it's the the mental component. We can dive into that more. Hearing that this may be, you know, you have to stop exercising or work out more? Like, how did you resolve that in your head? And how long did it take for you to actually then get your period after you decided, I'm going all in and I'm going to do this?
1: It was really hard. So like I said, I kind of had the information for a while and didn't really do anything about it. Because I, I kind of like, And, you know, I think that this is so common with a lot of people who have HA of just like being very type A, like, I'm either going to do this, or I'm not going to do this, Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to, you know, dip my toes in. And so I had kind of just after that appointment with my doctor, my husband and I were planning a trip abroad to go to Italy. And I, I guess like probably learning, you know, everything about HA and thinking about my history with eating, I was really just kind of sick of dragging myself out of bed to exercise every single morning, eating very little to try to maintain a body size that I was probably never really supposed to be at. I was just kind of sick of it. And so after that appointment, knowing we had this, you know, three to four week vacation coming up, I was just kind of like, okay, that's my that's my date. That's my all in date. So we (laughs) got on a plane, we went to Italy, ate lots of pasta and bread and pizza and gelato and wine and all the wonderful things. And I kind of started having some like hormonal symptoms, but I didn't think anything of it. And after we came home from our trip, I got my first recovery period. So that was like two and a half weeks, three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: Really, when you go all in, you go all. In, you go to Italy. That's, that's oh, like the, this that's is my takeaway. Get your period back. Go to Italy. Yep,
1: <laughs>
0: that's awesome. Okay, so let's just lay it out and and call it what it is. What are some common causes of irregular cycles and or hypothalamic amenorrhea. And if you could, you know, maybe help us understand what makes hypothalamic amenorrhea different or unique from other forms of period loss like PCOS.
1: Yeah. So, first of all, irregular cycles can happen for a number of reasons, but, you know, we'll kind of stick with HA just, you know, for for today <laughs> today's yes. topic. So, HA occurs when essentially your brain stops communicating with your reproductive organs, and it usually happens as a result of stress, under eating, or over exercise, usually kind of a combination of all three. With HA, it's clinically defined as not having a period for three months or greater, but there's kind of like levels of HA to call it that are kind of signaling that maybe your body isn't happy with food or exercise. It's different from PCOS in particular and just in that the way that it occurs. So I believe this is not my expertise, but PCOS it occurs in my understanding with elevated androgens. Sometimes some insulin resistance can impact ovulation to the point where you aren't getting your cycle. Now with HA, it's very different. And we can talk about this here in a second, but kind of like the driving forces behind HA are your body operating in a calorie deficit, chronic elevated, you know, stress hormones, and also some some weight loss at some point.
0: Yeah. So what is happening at a physiological level when a woman's period has gone missing? Because I think I think a lot of us say, okay, well, uh, my period stopped. But understanding exactly and you just kind of touched on it, but understanding exactly what's happening and why, like what's why is our body responding in this way to that stressor? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So in a healthy functioning body. Your hypothalamus is an area in your brain responsible for secretion of hormones, in particular gonadotropins, uh, follicular stimulating hormone, and luteinizing hormone, which are responsible for growing a mature follicle, triggering the lace of ovulation, and egg for ovulation. With HA, your hypothalamus is suppressed due to low energy availability, so, you know, under exercising too much not eating enough and then also stress and that could be you know physical stress from exercise or also physiological stress from like trauma or just you know life and that stress activates the hpa axis which increases corticotropin releasing hormone adrenocorticotropic hormone and also cortisol and that's what though that kind of interplay is what is going to inhibit gonadotropin releasing hormone secretion so because of that, the suppression of GnRH, luteinizing hormone LH, and follicular-stimulating hormone FH are unable to rise to the appropriate levels to actually grow a follicle. And so all of the events that happen after that, the thickening of the uterine lining, actual ovulation, all of those things basically stop, and then your estrogen levels are low. So like with labs, with HA, typically we're going to see low estrogen, low LH, low FSH.
0: Hmm. Okay. One of the... Qu- and- This is a little zinger I'm going to throw at you is when you say stress, it could be trauma, it could be, you know, physical, it could be because of the under eating. Have you found that just going on a specific type of diet, so maybe not under eating, but under eating a specific type of food, for example, keto or low carb, or maybe doing time restricted eating, so only eating one meal a day or, or, you know, the things that are a little bit more popular now. Is that a a form of stress that might lead the female body, which is, you know, a cycling, specifically women who are cycling? Would is that make women more prone to HA or does there always need to be a caloric deficit?
1: I know that there is research that shows that both intermittent fasting and carbohydrate restriction, very low carb diets can lead to an cycles and, and, and probably potentially period loss as well. I was going to say, you know, another thing that plays on the suppression of a GNRH, gonadotropin releasing hormone is low insulin, low T3, mm-hmm. and all of those things are, you know, can be impacted by very restrictive diets like the fasting and keto low carb.
0: Interesting. So I think one of the things that the paleo movement and, you know, my throwing myself under the bus, me included early on was like insulin. No, you know, if we eat insulin was like the big, you know, red X, you know, you've got to man, you've got to suppress the insulin. We don't want our insulin spiking too much. And even, you know, other things like cortisol. You know, don't you don't want cortisol you know gotta be you to know, stop cortisol from spiking. Cortisol is a really great hormone that helps us manage our stress. And insulin's an actually really great hormone that when balanced properly, you know, within the context of a healthy body, is good for us in, in many ways, right? We don't wanna just completely turn it off. And I, I think that's super interesting how it plays into a woman's cycle. Yeah. Okay, so I want to know from you, because I know a lot of women kind of maybe dip in and out of period loss. Are there any early signs that a woman is about to experience period loss? For example, if somebody's experiencing like lighter periods or longer cycles, is that a sign that she may be like knocking on the door of hypothalamic amenorrhea?
1: Yes. And I think that this is such an important thing, important takeaway and why I always recommend tracking your periods. As I kind of talked about earlier, HA can kind of occur on a spectrum. So the first sign that your body isn't happy with, you know, food or exercise or stress, lifestyle stuff that you have going on is a short luteal phase. So that's going to be the time from when you ovulate to when your period comes. So if it's less than 10 days, that means progesterone levels are low. And it's kind of the body saying like, hey, this isn't the best time to make a baby. So if progesterone's low, as evidenced by alludeal phase, less than 10 days, it's you're not going to be able to get pregnant. So that's kind of like the first thing to look out for. The next kind of phase of heading into HA land is inovulatory cycles. And that's usually, you might have a light bleed. It's also usually associated with a irregular cycle. So anything, you know, shorter than 21 days and anything longer than 35 days. And then the next. next. Next phase would be amenorrhea or not having a period for three months or longer.
0: I have a way for you to get free electrolytes. And let me be honest, you are going to love them. Minerals have quite literally changed my life. I take them daily now. A lot of people think that you don't need to take them during the winter because you're not sweating as much. But that's a myth. If you are running around, if you're working out, if you're eating a whole foods diet, and if you're dealing with stress, your body still needs electrolyte support. In fact, I'm still drinking them daily during the winter now. I tend to drink them mid-morning. I get to a point where I start to feel fatigue. And I actually start to feel like I want something, like I'm craving something, whether it's food or sweet, and I don't really feel hungry. That's when I know I need my electrolytes. One of my favorite ways to replace minerals is with Element. I started supplementing with Element after workouts and it made a huge difference in my energy and the dizziness I used to experience throughout the day. They make grab-and-go electrolyte replacement packs with no sugar, gluten fillers, or artificial ingredients. You just tear open a pack, pour it into your water, and stir. I have now been mixing up half a packet for my kids when they're sick, which has been often they now say, I don't feel good, I want my Element. I also pretty much always have... One in my purse because when we are out and about, it's been a long day, we're at a football game, I need to pour some element in my water. Right now, everyone, including new and current customers, can get a free eight pack of element with every order. Element comes in boxes of 30. There is free shipping on all orders, and now all orders will get a free 8-pack, which has all the flavors of Element. When you do your order, I recommend doing the Insider Bundle, which gives you three boxes, then you get one free, then you get a free 8-pack on top of it. And make sure to check out the new winter flavors, chocolate mints, chocolate raspberry, and chocolate chai, which can be heated up for a warm drink. To get Element, go to drinklmnt.com forward slash wellfed and make sure to use the code wellfed for your free sample eight pack. Again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash wellfed. So short luteal phase. Luteal phase is the second half of your cycle when you release an egg, you ovulate, and then it should be around 14 days. That's like no matter how long your cycles are, a normal cycle is typically around 14 days from ovulation to your period starting. So that phase becoming shorter is a sign as is cycle just because you get a period doesn't necessarily mean that you are ovulating. So a not Bleeding but not ovulating is another sign. Right. Yeah. Okay. So is, and this is the question that's, you know, uh, we're going to jump into the questions that always that we get that's on everybody's mind. Is is losing your period associated with a specific body fat percentage or a weight for each woman? So, for example, is it like Kelsey is is going to always lose her period if she gets to this body fat percentage or this weight or can that vary for each individual woman because i know that obviously not every woman's going to be the same right so there's a lot of women who experience ha at a variety of different weights and body fat percentages but is can it change for an individual woman
1: Yeah. Great question. I think, you know, to the first question, is it associated with a certain body fat percentage or weight? Of course it varies woman to woman. So the answer is kind of like yes and no. We know that body low body fat percentage is tied to low leptin levels. And we know that that's Mm. one thing that can suppress GnRH secretion. I've seen in the research kind of like 20 to 22% body fat being considered like, don't go below this point. You're at risk for losing your period you know, 10 years ago in the research, it was a lot lower than that. And so I think we're still kind of trying to make up our mind there. But to your point, one woman is going to be able to probably cycle regularly at a certain body fat percentage, and another is going to maybe need to be, you know, higher than that, to to have that. And that's probably going to depend a little bit more on everyone's sort of unique genetic set point range. But the bigger picture, I think that what is going to matter the most for period loss is the means to which somebody went through to achieve said body fat percentage, because there's a big difference in somebody who's naturally lean versus somebody who achieved that same leanness through over and under-eating.
0: Talk to me a little bit about more about that. What do you mean? So somebody who's naturally lean is going to be less prone to hypothalamic amenorrhea?
1: I guess what I'm saying is there are people who are in smaller bodies or in leaner bodies and don't experience HA. And then there mm-hmm. are people who are in larger bodies with more body fat and still experience HA.
0: Right. Yeah, that would be me. Second not a second
1: person.
0: <laughs> See, and, and really what happened and what happens for so many women in general is that you know, society tells us that we should be super lean and that we should be small. And so we force our body into this set point that's not natural for us at all. And so we do these extreme things to get there. Maybe not even that extreme, you know, Lindsay, it's it's maybe not even that that much of a, oh, I'm exercising all the time. Maybe it's just you've dieted down and you're you're doing intermittent fasting now or whatever, you know, you decide to do something and you try to get your body just to stay in this place. And it's, not where it needs to be, not where it wants to be. And you don't need to be there to be healthy, but we've, you know, we, we gravitate towards these ideas that, okay, well, thin means healthy and thin means worthy. And this is, you know, the way I need to look. And so we kind of chase after that our entire lives and sacrifice our health and our, on our cycles
1: in the process. I think that's definitely the crux of it. I was also going to say too, that there's a genetic component to HA. Like some women are just more prone to period loss, just more sensitive to calorie deficit, to overexercise than others. Like there is like some of us are just genetically predisposed for whatever reason to, for this to happen.
0: Yeah. I think that's super interesting too. And I, and that's what I've noticed too, in working with a lot of women is that some women when under a certain amount of stress are always I think each of us have our have our own things. You know, we we each have our own ways that our body adapts and responds and also breaks down when it comes to stress. And if, you know, some women are going to struggle with autoimmune disease or they're you know going to have hypothyroidism and others are going to lose their period and others are going to struggle with different hormonal imbalances so i think that and that's where the genetics come into play and so when you can kind of figure out what your thing is you know how your body responds (laughs) to that that negative stress or too much stress then you can you know effectively know how to prevent it from happening um even though you know f- managing stress and reducing the amount of stress we're exposed to overall is good for everybody i think knowing how your body responds you know whether cuz i know for me i'm always going to be prone to ha you know and and i've experienced it before and any time that i have to keep that in mind you know if if i were to try to lose weight again or whatever or even just be under a lot of stress or work out a lot. Like if I get really excited and I'm feeling good, which my body now that I'm 35 you know, my knee stops me before my period <laughs> lost would. But, you know, if I get really excited and start to work out a ton and I'm working out four days a week, like I'm going to be more prone to, oh, there goes my luteal phase is shortening or gosh, my period, my cycle is shorter or it's lighter. And I can see that happen. I'm not at all close to what I, you know, that weight that I was when I lost my period, but I can definitely see it when my intensity goes up with my exercise. So I just think it's a one of those messages that our body, you know, another one of those messages that we can learn from and say, okay, this is happening. I need to back off or I need to, I need to, you know, pull in the reins or I need to manage my stress better or sleep more or whatever.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that that's why, you know, tracking cycles can be really helpful. And also, mm-hmm. you know, just knowing yourself, you know, like you and I, if we know we have this history, we know this is how our body reacts to stress and, you know, under nutrition, then it's something to always look out for. Yeah. So
0: let's talk about the plan. What should women do in terms of eating for fertility? So if somebody is struggling with HA and maybe they don't have their period and they've tried to eat a little bit more and they've cut back a little bit on workouts and they're still not getting their period, which I I hear your cries. I know it's hard. What should somebody, what's your plan? How do you start working with somebody to say, okay, we're going to get your period back? Because you, you had period loss for a very long time and got it back fairly quickly. And that's not everybody's experience.
1: Right. Very true. And there's, you know, there's lots of factors that play into recovery time, but you know, the fastest way to get your period back is to eat a lot and to do a drastic decrease in exercise. So we'll start with food, 2,500 calorie minimum. And I know that that number sometimes, I usually get one of two responses, either it blows their mind or they're like, I'm already doing that. (laughs) So for the person who blows their mind, it really does need to be a floor and not a ceiling. Like it's kind of like bare bones, like start here and let yourself go over and above that as much as your body needs to feel fed. And oftentimes people will think they can't eat that amount. And then once they do, because from you know months, probably years for most people who have HA of under eating, your metabolism is suppressed. So of course, it's going to feel like a lot of food, but as you eat, metabolism adjusts, your appetite also adjusts there too. So eating that as a minimum, and then also increasing variety in your diet is really, really huge. So like trying to not just eat 2,500 calories worth of quote healthy foods, really incorporating carbs back in carbs are incredibly important for fertility and ovulation and getting your cycle back. It's also the most restricted food group that I see and most of the women I'm working with that have HA. Of course, fats are important, but also really kind of getting down to the core of how did this all happen? So oftentimes I recommend that people kind of do a thorough assessment of like, When do you think you lost your period and what was going on? Like, what kind of restrictions did you have in place? Were you fasting? Were you doing keto? Were you doing, you know, for me, and this is um, (laughs) age a little bit, but Weight Watchers was really popular diet when I was in high school, Mm -hmm. calorie counting, macro counting. And so really kind of getting down to like, and I hear from a lot of people, as they're kind of going through this and they're recognizing all the restrictions that they have with food, they're recognizing food rules that they have that don't even make sense. Like, you know, Oh, I might feel hunger. Come on, but then I can't eat until an hour later. Or if I have a carb at lunch, I can't have carbs at dinner. So kind of like recognizing all of those little subtle restrictions, I think are super helpful in helping you to liberalize your diet, increase variety and amount so that you can eat enough to get your period back.
0: Is there a specific calorie intake needed to get your period back that you recommend for all women?
1: I recommend 2,500 as like a a starting place, but most people will need more. And I don't really ever encourage people to like, especially if they haven't already been counting calories, it's kind of more like an awareness is, is to start there and then, you know, make sure that you're going over and above, especially if you continue to kind of move move around a lot or exercise.
0: Yeah. Uh, age old question, because Steph and I talk about this a lot, which is like you could eat all the junk food and get your period back really quick or you know do it very slowly and it's going to take time do you do you need to eat the junk food to get your period back I'm like should we be gorging on all the things I know not everybody can go to Italy but should we be going to the convenience store and eating a bunch of junk food to get our period back
1: I mean short answer no long answer what do you mean by junk food, right? Because I think that a big part of this healing process is kind of redefining your relationship with food. And if all carbs are bad, if all sugar is bad, then, you know, you're going to have a hard time eating enough to get your period back on your very boxed in view of nutrition. And so again, short answer, no, you don't have to eat donuts all day long to get your period back. But it is helpful to recognize that you can have a donut as you're working to get your period back.
0: Yeah. That's that's huge. I like that, that shift because we work so hard to educate about food doesn't have morality. There are no bad foods, right? And you can eat a donut if you want to. It's really going to be okay. And I think that that liberation, that sort of just like freedom... <laughs> You know, mental freedom, just just releasing the rules and the restrictions can do so much for you, especially when we're talking about managing your overall stress and reducing the the overall stress that you yourself are subjecting yourself to when it comes to food and and food restrictions and food rules. I, I, I like that a lot. Even if you don't liked it, like I don't like donuts. Um, <laughs> like, you know, saying to myself, you could have that if you really wanted to is an incredible mindset shift. It takes the power away from food and puts the power back in your hands. You can say, okay, what am I feeling like right now? And maybe it is a cookie or whatever, and you can have it. But instead of feeling like you have to continually restrict or, you know, you eventually do have a cookie you 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 don't need to worry about the shame cycle and feeling bad about it and then having to restrict later like you know it's such a small piece of like your day and you can pick up and move on with the rest of your life because it's just a cookie
1: it um. really is a game changer for mm-hmm. recovery and i think in my practice i see people recover relatively quickly is just like you said, not necessarily about like, you know, calories being equal. Sure, you could, you know, eat all the things, eat X number of calories and eventually get your period back. But when you're able to reduce stress, guilt and shame around food, which is one of the biggest stressors probably contributing to period loss in a lot of people with HA, mm-hmm. it, it's just a game changer. And it, it just helps everything kind of fall back into place where it needs to be. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about exercise, because this is the one thing nobody wants to give up, because we're all type (laughs) A and we're all stressed and we all just want to work out. Why are you trying to take away the workouts? It's not helpful. So when somebody is trying to get her period back, what types or forms of exercise get the green light? Or is it like, you know, you just need to reduce time and volume? Or should women just stop altogether? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think it depends on the person. Typically, reducing you know, training volume and intensity while, while putting the body in a calorie surplus is enough to bring periods back. But I also, again, think it kind of depends upon the person because you know, there's a difference between somebody who really likes to exercise and somebody who has an exercise addiction for someone with an exercise addiction, you know, telling them that, you know, 60 minutes of Pilates during recovery isn't going to cut it. And their 60 minutes is probably going to turn into 90 minutes and their 90 minutes is going to turn into 120 minutes. And so Mm. for some people, I think it is necessary to pump the brakes completely for a while. But in theory, reducing just the time and the volume should be enough.
0: Which you, you, you mentioned something there, exercise addiction. And I think the underlying thing that, you know, we haven't quite touched on yet, which is a lot of times HA is a symptom of a much bigger problem. We're using exercise or maybe we're using. hyper-controlling our calories as a coping mechanism. So we have maybe we're we're dealing with emotions or we're dealing with loneliness or like self-hate and shame or trauma. And this is the way in which we manage that and we protect ourselves and we feel safe when you're removing something like exercise from somebody's life who feels, you know, that's their only way of coping or that is how they feel like they're they're in control of things or they're managing, you know, their own expectations of themselves or other people's expectations, do you find that you in your practice you have to help people bring in other ways of coping and if so, what what are those other ways?
1: Yeah, great question. You know, some of that is going to go over and beyond my scope, so I do refer out to therapists. And sometimes, if it is a true exercise addiction and there's some OCD going on, sometimes therapy is necessary. HA recovery is a really cool time to kind of like get back in touch with yourself. You know, so many women spend hours—and I mean hours—per <laughs> day exercising, and or hours per week, and you know, once you are working on recovery, you're either not exercising or you're reducing that a lot. And so you're going to end up with a lot of spare time. And so one of the cool things that I think is unique and seeing, even though it's challenging, it's also an opportunity in recovery is to get back in touch with yourself. Like, what do I like doing besides exercising? Like, do I like baking, do I like crocheting, am I artistic, can I be more social, like how can I pour into relationships, can I deepen my faith, spirituality? And so while yes y- there are times whenever, you know, we're going to have to find other ways to cope with kind of deeper issues that are going on. I think it's also a time to kind of use your recovery as a form of therapy of kind of exploring, you know, what else makes you you. Because I think at the heart of someone who's struggling with period loss, in a big way, it's almost like your identity has been misplaced in this really fit exercise person. And Mm -hmm. While that can be part of who you are, it's not all that you are.
0: If there's anything that I've learned in my 30s, it's that sleep matters. And it actually matters a lot what you put your face on for eight plus hours a night. I say this because until a couple years ago, I was sleeping on cotton and my skin and my hair suffered as a result. If you've ever woken up with frizzy hair or a bunch of sheet marks on your face, that's because of cotton. Cotton actually absorbs moisture and your skincare and can dry out your skin and your hair. You know when you finally do that thing that you've been reading about and meaning to do forever, and then you're like, why did I wait so long? That's how I feel about my 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcase from Blissy. Silk actually reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents breakage because it keeps the moisture in your hair. And best of all, it's temperature-regulating and always cool. Also, if you pull your hair back at night, like me, stop using elastic hair ties. This is true for you and your kids. Elastic can cause more breakage and creates horrible creases. Blissey makes these amazing small silk hair ties. It's what I use now every night, and I don't have horrible creases when I wake up. Blissey's 100% mulberry silk pillowcases are naturally hypoallergenic, cooling, and unlike any other silk pillowcases, Blissey's are machine washable, and durable. Blissey silk pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men love them too. They have over 1.5 million raving fans, and you could be next. Try now risk free for 60 nights at blissey.com forward slash well fed and get an additional 30% off. That's blissey, B L I S S Y dot com forward slash well fed. And use code WellFed to get an additional 30% off. Give yourself the gift of a good night's sleep with Blissy. Yeah, that's huge. I it's hard when you've, you know, you you are the fit person and you're getting the praise. You know, you're getting the the, oh, you look so good. And wow, you're so dedicated. And oh my gosh, you ran that marathon. That becomes who you are. And it's really, really hard to let go of that. But there is so much that else that you can be mm-hmm. outside of that. And when you really take a look at it and your life, it's hard to to see beyond it when you're in it. But when mm-hmm. you look back on, you know, say I look back on my 20s or my 30s and I'm looking back on my life, I'm not I don't think people really cared or not whether I actually <laughs> ran a marathon or or I was that that fit girl like they might have made comments, but it didn't like what does that all matter what is it what does it matter it doesn't and so people really care if you're like a good friend or you're a good person or you're helping to take care of others or you know and I think that sometimes we get so wrapped up in that identity that all the other identities which are important get left to the to the side and I do I don't have any regrets because I do feel like all that I went through, you know, helped me to become who I am today and taught me a lot. And obviously started my business and and what I do with this podcast. But I will say, if I could change one thing, I probably <laughs> would have loved to just go back in college and like enjoyed my time more. <laughs> because a lot of my time was spent exercising. And it yeah. ju- it's like you look back and you're like, what a waste, you know, I I could have had so much. there. I mean, what was I doing? I could have had so much fun, you know, and <laughs> spent a little bit more time with my friends and like just relax and and hung out more and got to just spend quality time with people or even just like doing more events or service events and just like things that you don't do because, you know, it's on the weekends and you're like, well, I have to do my long run, you know, or I have to go to bed early and all of that's fine. But it it's, it takes away a a big piece of your life that another part of a potential, you know, identity that you could, you could have. So, okay. If a woman has struggled with hypothalamic amenorrhea in the past, will she be more susceptible to losing her period again in the future?
1: Uh, I think, unfortunately, this is true. You know, we like to think that, you know, recovery is kind of a one-time thing. You just, you do it and you get your period back and it's, you know, it's rainbows and butterflies Mm -hmm. and all the things moving forward. But I do think, you know, I think as we kind of already talked about is it's because we know that there's a genetic component. We know if you've lost your period, we know that genetically you're more sensitive to over-exercising and under-eating. And so I think it's just something to keep an eye on, you know, if, somebody is of childbearing years, but not really wanting to get pregnant and they want a very, you know, effective (laughs) form of birth control beyond just cycle tracking, which can be, you know, really effective when it's done correctly, but it can also not be effective. Um, If not done correctly, the the copper IUD can, you'll be able to, you know, still ovulate and and get um, regular cycles. And so if you're wanting to track your cycle that way, again, you know, paying attention into your the length of your luteal phase, whether or not you're actually ovulating, you can track ovulation, and I think it's just something that you will kind of have to pay attention to, unfortunately. Yeah, um, Yeah,
0: and my last question before we get into our community questions is: How long can a woman expect for for it to take for her to get her period back? Because you know, I think there obviously is a range of normal, but what's abnormal? What's taken to like, if it starts taking too long, is that a sign like you just not you're you know, you need to cut out like what? If a woman hasn't gotten her period back after X amount of days? Is that a sign like you need to stop working out and just eat a little bit more? Or you know, how do you evaluate that?
1: Yeah, if I'm working with somebody, and you know, I'm going to be able to kind of know a little bit more factors of everything that's going on. But if I'm working with somebody who's taken longer than three months to get a period back and I'm you know, monitoring their nutrition, I know what they're doing lifestyle-wise with exercise and their job and the other stressors that they have, somebody's taking longer than three months, that's usually the time when I'm kind of like, all right, what are we doing here? <laughs> Do we need to yeah. eat more? What's going on? we talk about 2500 calories being a minimum, I have worked with numerous people who hang out there for a while, and nothing happens. And we're like, all right, we really need to focus on, you know, getting you some more. Um, And I would say usually that's usually the piece that I see missing more so than anything. Unless, of course, somebody is playing the, oh, I'm just going to eat everything I want, but I'm going to continue to exercise for you know, hours per day. Then I would just say, all right, let's really focus on doing the things we need to do to get to get your period back, which would be not exercising. <laughs> which would be, <laughs> which would be not <laughs> my method. I recommend not exercising for more than an hour per day, keeping your heart rate below 120 beats per minute and taking one to two rest days per week. And so if somebody is doing that and they're eating 2,500 calories or more, um, I usually see people get their period back in at least two to three months, if not sooner.
0: Okay, 120 beats per minute is, is pretty low. Like that's my like I- walking heart rate. If I'm walking like up a hill.
1: Well, and I'll blow your mind even more because I believe the research says, you know, anything over 100 beats per minute kind of starts to increase the cortisol levels, (laughs) uh, which is insane, though, right? Because I'll walk around my neighborhood and I'm also in 120. So Mm -hmm. that's usually kind of where I bend the rules a little bit because I've seen it work, you know, still for people
0: got it okay so one hour of exercise doesn't mean like high intensity interval training yeah doing a lift heavy lifting and stuff like that it's basically like you're doing you know stretching yoga pilates which are all or you know or walking which is all incredible ways to actually improve your health but also manage your mental health because obviously exercise you know we get endorphins and there's so many health benefits to it and there's also a lot of <laughs> mental health benefits to it so it's not like you want to take that away from people, but we have to manage the intensity and manage the heart rate, which I, I think is a beautiful way of looking at it. I like that a lot.
1: Well, and the, another thing that I always remind people is like, you know, while we, while well, we do need to be eating more pretty much for the rest of our lives, you know, mm-hmm. after, AHA recovery, the exercise, you know, that's not a forever thing, right? Like you can get back to heavy lifting. You can get back to high intensity interval training, running, whatever you want to do, provided you're, you're fueling appropriately and taking rest days. Um, You can get back to those things, but I always describe HA recovery as, you know, like healing from an injury, right? If you have a stress fracture, you know, you don't like, in order for it to properly heal, you're not going to continue to run, right? You're going to take some time and you're going to completely rest. You're going to let it heal. And then you're not going to just jump back into running marathons again, you're probably going to do some tapered training and some cross training, as you know, you're building everything back up around so that everything can function properly. And that's kind of the way that I view HA recovery as well.
0: So if somebody's already gotten their period back and then they try to run again, or, you know, they're trying to run three to five miles a couple of times a week, or maybe they want to train for a half marathon or something like that. And they are eating sufficiently, but the, the exercise is triggering it. Is that a sign that it's she, she might still be under eating? Or is that more of a sign of like you, you're going to have to manage your heart rate and your exercise long term?
1: I think that most people's bodies are able to handle the exercise so long as you are fueling appropriately. So I want to say that, you know, the more cycles that you have, once so we recover our period, we get one period, cool. It, I, the recommendation is not to really change a whole lot with exercise until you've at least had three cycles, because the more cycles that you get under the belt, the more the less sensitive your body's going to be to exercise. And so in theory, I think somebody could recover from HA and get three periods and start training, you know, gradually increasing their exercise, they're cycling regularly, regularly for a year or two and go into marathon training and not lose their period. I do think that that's completely possible.
0: Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard that before, although it makes total sense. You've got to get more cycles under your belt. So if you're jumping back into it, and you're like, wait, I'm eating enough, I I need to I want to do this marathon, you need you need to get more cycles under your belt.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that rule. Okay. This one's from Allie. She says, I feel like we've heard a lot of being underweight and fertility, but can you talk about what diets look like if you're overweight and trying to ovulate? Also, is there really a basis for seed cycling? I've heard mixed information from different medical practitioners. So is can women who are not technically uh, a normal weight or let's say, you know, according to the BMI scale, they're in a normal weight or not below, like not in the underweight category, can they still struggle with hypothalamic amenorrhea just from stress? And what's kind of the protocol there, if, if anything different? And then we, you can talk about seed cycling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say two, two questions. Yeah, so of course, you can be normal weight and even overweight and still struggle with HA. I work with people of all different you know, all all over the place on the BMI scale. I rarely work with people that are actually underweight. In fact, it's usually more kind of the normal weight, but I've also worked with people who are quote overweight, you know, based Mm -hmm. on a BMI scale. And I'm using heavy air quotes here because we all know that BMI tells you nothing um, about a person's body composition or anything. And then I also just kind of wanted to say to this question that like being quote again, heavy air quotes, overweight, higher BMI doesn't impact your fertility at all. Now, if there some insulin resistance, PCOS, something else going on, and you happen to be at a higher weight, then that's very different. But the actual, you know, quote, overweight status isn't going to impact your fertility in a negative way. Got it.
0: Seed cycling. Have you experimented with that for getting helping women ovulate? Because I I get this question a lot. I mean, I'm sure you do too. Like, what about seed cycling? Because everybody, you know, wants to know what's the trick? What are they missing? So what's the research or or have you practiced it at all?
1: Yeah, I, I don't use seed cycling. You know, I just haven't found it, the research to be supportive in the literature. So it's not anything that I've really brought into my practice. I think it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if it works, it works. Like, cool. I don't think that we really have like a scientific reason to believe that it would work. Other than the fact that like the seeds that are mentioned in seed cycling, uh, seed cycling are really rich in, um, you know, fiber and also fats and could be really good just for hormones in general. But I don't. I don't know how much, you know, I, I buy into like the cycle, like having certain ones during certain phases of your cycle, minus the fact I know that there is research that supports flaxseed for lengthening your luteal phase, but that would be just having flaxseed a certain amount per day, every day, not necessarily during certain parts of your cycle. Got it.
0: So let's talk about breastfeeding because this is another big question. This is from Afton. She says, what to expect while breastfeeding with cycles? Is it normal for luteal phases to be short? while breastfeeding so this is especially true of women who have struggled with hypothalamic amenorrhea maybe before Uh, they tried to get their period back try to get their period back oh now they're pregnant and then they're breastfeeding and still haven't (laughs) gotten their period back and maybe they're struggling and having like um, afton mentioned having these shorter luteal phases so is that what's what's within the range of normal here
1: Yeah, I think that that's normal. While you're breastfeeding, it's normal to not have a cycle for like up to a year, kind of depending upon the frequency with which you're nursing, the amount of milk that you're producing, your body sensitivity to prolactin. And so once you get your period back, yes, I would say it's normal for luteal phases to begin short. But like I kind of talked about, you know, that kind of being the sign of, okay, your body's not completely happy, we're probably not ready to like make a baby yet. So I would definitely continue to focus on, you know, eating appropriately, you know, kind of backing down on the exercise so that you, you can lengthen your luteal phase. I know a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, let's just increase progesterone. Well, the best way to increase progesterone is to have regular ovulatory cycles. So I'm thinking that if, someone struggling with the short luteal phase, that as their body continues to cycle, they would be able to lengthen that luteal phase naturally.
0: Hmm, Interesting. Okay, this is kind of a similar question, but or related, but there's a different question. Clarice says, is there a timeline that's ideal for getting your period back when breastfeeding? I didn't get mine back till I completely weaned my first baby but got pregnant the following month wondering how much a history of ha and then two pregnancy breastfeeding cycles is affecting my bones so we know a lot about and you know an ovulation or not ovulating and some of those health complications one of those being bone issues bone density issues so what what are your thoughts there
1: yeah I mean first of all you know Yeah, you know we can't change the past, right? So like, I know that bone density—it's scary to like be like, oh, you know, I didn't have my period for X number of years, and then I'm not having my period while I'm nursing, and so what impact? (laughs) I recognize the fear, but I think most bone loss that occurs as a result of not having your period can be regained once you regain your cycles. And again, best thing for your bones is regular ovulatory cycles. As far as timeline for getting your period back. I know that some people do really have to completely wean to get their period back. Like when I, when I was breastfeeding, actually I'm currently breastfeeding, but this is a better example because I can give the end result. When I was nursing, I I nursed my daughter for about 13 and a half months. And at the end of our breastfeeding journey, I was making like, I don't know, like four ounces per day. So like clearly not necessarily in a, a large calorie deficit as a result of breastfeeding. I think that, certain people can just be very sensitive to prolactin because I wasn't able to get my period back until I, I completely weaned her. But normal timeline, again, is going to depend upon how old your baby is and how frequently you're nursing. So if you're about a year postpartum and you're still nursing about five times per day, it's still kind of normal to not have your period. As you get closer to like the 15-month postpartum mark, especially if you're only nursing like morning and night, it would be, be kind of odd if you weren't getting your period back by that time.
0: Hmm, Interesting. Yeah, I had to completely night, both times, Mm -hmm. I had to completely night (laughs) wean Which freed up a lot for me overall. Like, I then I s- stopped dealing with mastitis. I got, I would like literally weeks <laughs> later, got my period back. So, like, night weaning was like my golden ticket.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, um, I did that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was, it was wonderful. Okay. So we'll do two more questions. This one is anonymous. It says, What do you think about using adaptogens for reducing stress when someone's main reason for not getting their period is stress related?
1: Yeah, I think adaptogens could be really good, but I would use them like in addition to other like stress management techniques, like making sure that you are relaxing, not over exercising, you know, doing exercise that's restorative therapy if necessary, getting adequate sleep. And so I think that they can be a tool. I don't think they're going to be like a magic bullet for bringing your period back. It's
0: like a tweak. Yeah, there's a lot of tweaks, but the foundations have to be there first. Yeah.
1: Yeah, won't hurt. But again, probably not gonna be like the magical thing.
0: Yeah. And this is her second question, which is really smart. I just I'm like, oh, this is a great question. How long after HA recovery should a woman wait? So how many more how many cycles should she get under her belt, so to speak, to refer back to what we were saying before? Should should a woman wait before trying to conceive for baby and for mom's health sake?
1: I think it depends on the person. In a perfect world, I'd like to say, you know, let's wait three cycles so that, you know, we can kind of, you know, trust that your body knows what to do, et cetera, et cetera. But also working in the fertility space, like I understand that when you're ready to have a baby, you want to be pregnant yesterday. And so there's really not a reason you couldn't get pregnant right away. I've even had clients, you know, catch their first ovulation and get pregnant before they even get a recovery cycle and go on to have perfectly healthy pregnancies. Mm-hmm. The only risk that I see, you know, doing something like that is if you're not well supported in your recovery or if you get pregnant with fertility treatment and you don't really under address the underlying issues as to why your period went missing, what I see happening there is that, you know, they're not really fully recovered, so they continue to restrict food and overexercise during pregnancy. They don't gain enough weight during pregnancy. We know, Noel, know well that, like, giving birth, labor and delivery is such a, like, it, like calorie expensive process that exhausting. People, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they, yeah.
1: You know, they go through the labor and delivery. And then especially if they're nursing will just drop weight like crazy. And then they end up like even further behind in their HA recovery journey. So that's really the biggest risk that I see for not for for, for not waiting a couple of cycles um, is really more kind of like the mental healing part of it.
0: Yeah, totally makes sense. And last question from Carbs and Kate. She says, how do you improve egg quality through micronutrients? So if we're thinking about trying to really improve our fertility and just improve egg quality overall, what's kind of, you know, some some ideas around nutrition that is helpful for women as they're trying to both recover their period, but also focus on like egg quality?
1: Yeah. I mean, as far as egg quality goes, I I think if you're coming at, you know, infertility and you're battling HA, we got to, we got to fix the HA first. And so, I don't want people to feel triggered thinking like, oh, I have to eat all the healthy things because I think that can actually hold you back a little bit in your in your HA recovery. But we'll, we'll pretend HA aside, you know, for a second, we're just focusing on improving egg quality. A lot of that's gonna stem from, you know, protecting against oxidative damage and, and increasing your antioxidant intake. So making sure that you're getting in plenty of fruits and vegetables, um, in addition to adequate amounts of calories and carbs and all of the things. And then I know supplements can kind of be a little bit individualized, But I know CoQ10 can be a little bit helpful for egg quality. And then there's actually a book that I personally haven't read, but I've heard it's really good called It Starts With the Egg for kind of nutrition and in lifestyle factors that impact eggs and egg quality. Hmm.
0: It's like a play on It Starts With Food. Okay, cool. I haven't heard of that either, but I'll, I'll look that up. I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay. That's all we got. That's all we got time for. You've stayed a little bit longer, which I appreciate. Uh, Talk to me about what you're doing. Obviously, you have a, a wonderful Instagram and then you can talk about that. But where can people find you and work with you and also what you got coming up in the future? If you can talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram food.freedom.fertility. I do not currently have a website that's that's hopefully coming in 2022. You know, what I do is is working with women and, and recovering from HA um, so that they can have healthy cycles and go on to be healthy mamas things in the future. I actually work my private practice part time, I would love to go full time in the near future, especially as my kids get older, so that I can be mm-hmm. a little bit you know, present and not working so, so much. But I don't know. I also am maybe thinking about starting a podcast. I mean, it seems like <laughs> that's what everyone does. Go for uh, it. Yeah. A lot to have a successful one like yours, but but I'm inspired.
0: Yeah. That's a lot of fun if you like to talk and that's uh-huh. your, your uh, great way. Uh, if that's your preferred method of communication, it works out really well. <laughs> so do you have a website name
1: yet? I had a landing page, essentially, and it tells a little bit of my story. So there, there's a bit there. It's lindsaylifestyledietitian.com. But if you're listening to this show, and it's recent, you might access that. If not, it might have changed. But by the time it changes, I'll have it linked to my Instagram. So check me out at food.freedom.fertility. And I'll, I'm sure I'll have a link to it then.
0: I asked that because I found your old website because I always try to just I Google my guests, you know, and see what what's what's happening. And you're like, hey, I don't have a website. And I'm like, well, I found this this website, but it does <laughs> look like you haven't touched it in a few years. But it was it was fun. I, I enjoyed looking at that and learning about you and all that. And obviously, now it's really cool that your Instagram is sort of your hub. And obviously, I think moving into 2022 and beyond is, is going to be great for you and getting a website and also like, it is really cool when you get to a place where your kids are kind of getting a little bit older and you can start putting a little bit more time into your business. And I'm really excited to see what you do. And we'd love to have you back on. So.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Okay, great. So for more from Lindsay, go to Instagram, food.freedom.fertility. I'll link to that in the show notes. For more for me, you can go to coconutsandcuddlebells.com. Thank you guys so much for being here. We will talk to you next week.